welcome to the Michigan Murders, the true crime podcast based in Michigan. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. I always want to make it chipper. Let's get excited <laughs> and talk about murder. Right. And uh, this one kind of took its toll on me because I thought I knew everything for the most part. Um, There's a lot that I just didn't know and it kind of like messed with me writing this yeah well you went first last time do you want me to go first this time go for it because it it also gets kind of brutal which I was not expecting so this one I titled drunken death in Menominee it uh took turn I was not expecting in 1880 Menominee was a town known for its lumber port, uh, so it obviously had a large number of lumberjacks in the area. Cousins Frank and John MacDonald from Nova Scotia, Canada, were two weeks out of an 18-month term in state prison and were working as lumberjacks. So this already starts well for them. Right. (laughs) They had a reputation for getting into fights when drunk, which was often, because what else did you have to do? In the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in the late 1800s. (laughs) You you lumberjacked and you drank and you visited uh, brothels. That was the thing. Or or you went to church if you were one of them. (laughs) One of the good townspeople. They were said to repeatedly cause disturbances while at lumber camp. During one of those disturbances, a local sheriff showed up to attempt to end it, at which time Frank, the younger cousin, beat the sheriff unconscious. Deputy Sheriff Billy Kitson, described as a burly 200-pound man, arrested the McDonald's. They were tried and convicted and sentenced to one and a half years in Jackson State Prison. When they got out, they returned to Menominee and went right back to their usual routine of drunken ashholessness. Uh, On one of those nights drinking at Montreal House... The bartender was Norman Kitson, the brother of the deputy sheriff who arrested them close to two years before. They, the cousins let Norman know that they would even the score against his brother Billy. The brothers later paid visit to the Three Chimney House, a this is quotes, house of prostitution, mm. uh, when who just happened to be there but the deputy sheriff. Uh... He was not being sheriffy. He was visiting the right. ladies. <laughs> right, right, right. It was a lonely, burly, 200-pound <laughs> sheriff who needed attention, apparently. Uh, <laughs> Kitson got angry when the ladies started giving the McDonald's attention, and a fight broke out, and Kitson left shortly after smashing a bottle over Frank's head. The McDonald's then followed Kitson, where John clubbed him with a metal pipe, dropping Kitson to his knees, and then John stabbed him in the back with a six-inch knife. Mm. But the local paper said he was stabbed several times. So there's a couple versions that I read that, you know, he was stabbed once in the back and stabbed multiple times. Um, A local Tommy Dunn and Kitson's brother Norman saw the fight and tried to get his brother Billy, uh, but he was also stabbed and had wounds to his face and side. Billy got back up to try and help his brother... Uh, Norman pulled a gun, shooting Frank in the leg. Billy then staggers uh, back toward the Montreal house, 
where he falls dead in the street. And a local paper said that Norman cannot live. So I wasn't sure if that mean that meant that Norman also died from his wounds or what that was. It was kind of unclear. After the fight ended, Frank and John stole a horse and buggy and went to the local doctor to get fixed up. They tried to go north to Cedar River, but were stopped along the way by the current sheriff, David Barclay. The next day, Judge Henry Nason attempted to hold an inquest, but held it back because locals heard about what happened the night before and were in a rage. Um, the judge hoped the delay would avoid any kind of issues. The local paper, the Marionette Eagle, wrote about serious threats of lynching the McDonald's, but nothing ever happened that day. The next day, however, turned more volatile, as local men began gathering at the local hotel and saloon, the Forville House. By that evening, a drunken group of men had worked themselves up to lynch the cousins. The mob went down the street to the jail and demanded the sheriff hand over the McDonald's. When they were denied, they grabbed a telegraph pole and smashed open the door. I, that part, I was just thinking, I was like, wait, telegraph pole, not even a telephone telegraph pole and smash the door open the deputies were subdued by the crowd and the mcdonald's were pulled out of their jail cell and clubbed with an axe a local priest tried to stop the mob but he was cursed at and spat on and pushed into the gutter ropes were tied around the mcdonald's necks and the other end was tied to a buggy where they were dragged down ogden avenue while members of the mob jumped on the men the crowd continued to gather as people threw garbage and rocks at John and Frank. The mob uh, approached the railroad crossing and decided that was a good place to hang them, and they were hung from the railroad crossing sign. But by this time, it's assumed they had been dead for some time since they had been being dragged around by the neck from, right. a, from a horse and buggy. It gets worse. <laughs> um, the mob took the bodies back down hauled them over to the brothel on Bellevue Avenue, where they forced a prostitute to lay with the bodies of Frank and John. The mob then burned down the brothel and hung the bodies from a nearby tree. The next day, the mob was over, but the bodies still hung near the burned-down brothel. Several leaders of the mob were indicted for murder, but nothing ever came of it, and the one man who went to trial was found not guilty, so no one was ever convicted for the murder of Frank and John McDonald, uh, not to mention all the other crimes and shitty behavior. Right. Um, however, this also gets a little bit strange. Uh, several of the men involved died untimely deaths. So Albert Beach fell out of his boat and drowned. Lewis Porter died after being bitten by a rattlesnake. Which, <laughs> there's like, where... Where did the rattlesnake come from? Because I've never seen one up here. Uh, a mill owner was fatally injured in a lumberyard fire. And a man named Dunn was cut in two by a sawmill. Later in the 1930s, a project to renovate the jail found bloodstains still remained in the McDonald's jail cell from the day of the mob over 50 years earlier. And Frank and John McDonald are buried in an unmarked grave in the Potter's Field section of the Riverside Cemetery in Menominee. So that is wow. the story of <laughs> Frank and John McDonald and the the mob that 
Yeah. <laughs> I think they right. called it like a v- vigilante justice, but, you know, vigilante justice doesn't also mean abusing mm-hmm. a prostitute and a priest and lighting a brothel on fire. Right. It's just psychosis. Yeah. Mine will be on the disappearance of Jessica Herringa. Now, this story goes in multiple areas, but it all kind of goes back to one because he has other crimes that he was also tried for. So it gets interesting. Jessica Lynn Herringa, born July 16, 1987, went missing on April 26, 2013 from an Exxon gas station in Norton Shores, Michigan, where she was working the third shift alone. She was engaged at the time of her disappearance and the mother of a young son. Left at the scene, investigators found Jessica's car and jacket, along with her cigarettes and purse with a large amount of money. They also found drops of blood outside, which DNA analysis positively matched the blood to Jessica. They were called when a customer came in and found the gas station completely abandoned. And so the police were called. Uh, can we just talk about how crazy it is to have a woman working by herself at night in a gas station? Happens to me all the time, but yeah. That that should not be allowed. Oh, it goes more into that part here, too. Oh. In Michigan, just... <laughs> yeah. We'll get, <laughs> Making me we'll mad, Michigan. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. They also found drops of blood outside, which DNA analysis positively matched the blood to Jessica. Fire um, parts to a firearm were also found in proximity to the blood. Oh, wow. Over the next three and a half years, a 75-member task force with 14 specialized divisions from 15 local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies gave a tw- uh, 12,000 man-hours to a large investigation that included upwards of 1,400 tips received, 33 search warrants executed, 20 residential searches by consent, along with 12 ground and two underwater searches. Wow. Although her her remains still have not been discovered uh, or recovered to this day, a pair of male cousins have been tried and convicted in connection with her disappearance and assumed murder. Jeffrey Willis was charged with Jessica's kidnapping and murder due to the strength of forensic evidence combined with the eyewitness testimony that implicated him. Switching over to Jeffrey Willis now. On April 16, 2016, an unnamed 16-year-old girl in Lakedon Township became lost after leaving a party. That is when Willis approached her in his van with an offer to let her use his phone. He insisted that she needed to be in the van to use it. And after she got in, he said his phone was dead before locking the doors and taking off down the road. The girl was able to escape from the vehicle and run until she found a house nearby. The woman inside the home, Dawn Schmidt, was enjoying a cup of coffee on her deck when the shouts of a man and woman disturbed her enough to go inside and poke her head outside the door. That is when she heard and saw the girl yelling, running barefoot toward her house, screaming about a man with a gun. After letting the girl inside and getting locked inside of a room, where Schmidt called the authorities. Police found disturbing images of women bound, gagged, handcuffs, chains, ropes, and syringes, including one with a powerful sedative and a gun. When they searched the van, 
that Jeffrey Willis was driving when he picked the teen up. Holy shit. Yeah. He has been charged with the sexually motivated kidnapping of the teen. The gun found matched evidence from the shooting death of Rebecca Blesch. Whoa. So Rebecca Blesch. Oh, yeah. This gives deep. It's pretty disturbing. On May 25, 2016, Willis was charged with the murder of Rebecca Sue Blesch, a 36-year-old jogger whose body was found with three gunshots to the head alongside the road on June 29, 2014. The shell casings found near the body matched that of the gun found in Willis's van. And another subfolder found inside the VIX folder on Willis's computer, because he had a folder on his computer called VIX, which we all know is short for victims. Yeah. Yeah. And another subfolder found inside that folder on Willis's computer, he had pictures of Blesh. The judge denied bond for Willis and ordered him to remain in Muskegon County Jail. On October 17, 2017, Jeffrey Willis was found guilty of first-degree murder in the death of Blesh and of the use of a firearm in the commission of a felony. He was subsequently sentenced to life without parole. On March 9, 2018, the Michigan House of Representatives passed a bill that would require convicted defendants to listen to victims' impact statements at sentencing, which was inspired by Willis's refusal to do so after the Rebecca Blush trial. He refused to listen to her friends and family. Oh, of course, nobody. So, now it's made law. Oh. It was passed by Michigan Senate on May 10, 2018, and... Governor Rick Snyder signed it into law on May 24, 2018. It is officially known as the Rebecca Blesch Law. Wow. Willis was also charged with the production and possession of child pornography. Ew. Surprise, surprise. After police found videos of two nude girls who were 14 at the time on his computer. He had lived next door to the girls in March 2011 in Fruitland Township and recorded them without their knowledge while they used his bathroom. Ew. Which means they were in his house. Right. Using his bathroom. Oh, no. That's, like, way worse. Yeah. Now we kind of skip over to Kevin Bloom. On June 21st, 2016, Willis's cousin, Kevin Laverne Bloom, a former MDOC prison guard. Whoa was charged with lying to a police officer during a violent crime investigation after he told police information about Herringa's disappearance that was not made public, but which later he recanted. Oh, yeah, because I think we talked about that before, you and I have, about how you can just recant your statement and then, oh, well, we can't do anything about it then. Right. It's bullshit. Blum was also charged with the same crime in connection to the Blush case. Blum... Blum Bloom pled guilty to both counts on August 26, 2016, and was sentenced to time served. Mm. Of course. Blum was also charged with being an accessory after the fact when he admitted to investigators that he saw Willis with Herringa's body. What? And helped him bury her after she was sexually assaulted. <gasps> Holy shit. This is where it starts getting like. Really, like, yeah. 
He stated that Willis called him the day after Haringa's disappearance and said he had a woman and that there was a party. Blum told police that he saw Haringa with a head wound, face down, hands out, and tied. She was naked and unmoving. He also said that he knew that Jeffrey had been following or watching Jessica and that he had hit her, which made her become unconscious in order to get her into his van. And that Willis had sex with her and used sexual toy toys and torture. Oh. He told investigators that he and Willis wrapped Herringa in a sheet and drove her to an area on Sheridan Road near Lakedon Road. I know where these places are and that makes me really disturbed too. Mm. Where Willis had already placed shovels and buried her in a hole that had already been dug. Blum had, uh, was subse- subsequently suspended without pay from his job as a sergeant at the West Shoreline Correctional Facility, a state prison in Muskegon Heights. On November 27, 2017, Blum pled no contest to being an accessory after the fact for helping Willis uh, dispose of Herringa's body and was sentenced on January 9, 2018 to time served plus five years probation and to wear a GPS tether for at least one year. Because apparently that's all you need. People have gotten longer time for drugs. <laughs> like he helped bury a People get worse than body. that for weed. Yeah. Yeah. So if he knows where it was buried, why haven't they found her? He kept taking them places. From what I read, he kept being like, oh, yeah, 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 no, I, I'll show you where her body is. And then they would get almost there, and he'd be like, oh, never mind, I recant. You son of a bitch. Or they would hear stuff, and they would go to these places, and there would be nothing. That's some bullshit. That makes me think less that he just helped and that he was involved. Because otherwise, you're already in jail for it. They're not going to do more to you to show them where it is rather than be a dick about it. Right. Back to Jeffrey Willis. On September 20, 2016, Jeffrey Willis, who was already incarcerated at the Muskegon County Jail for his other crimes, including that of homicide, was charged by Muskegon County Prosecutor's Office with the kidnapping and murder of Jessica Herringa. Willis had been a uh, regular customer at her gas station. He matched a police artist's sketch of the man seen being real flirty with her on the night she disappeared. And his van matched the description of the one wit- uh, one witnessed at the crime scene and recorded on security cameras from other places, of course, since her job didn't have security cameras. Oh, my gosh. Uh, speeding away from her work. So they have you working alone and then also no way to record if something happens to you. That's Just some bullshit. Go into that. Yeah. That's oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, recorded on security cameras, speeding away from her work at the time she went missing. Jeffrey's co-workers told police that he was scheduled to work that night, but that he had never showed up, nor did he show up for work in the days afterwards. When police executed a search warrant for Willis's home, they found pictures of Herringa in, in the folder labeled Vix on his computer. Wow. Police searched for her body near his home. After they received a tip on June 17, 2016, but found nothing. Police had previously searched for her body in and around a cabin in Mansalona, owned by a friend of Willis's on May 20, 2016, but also found nothing. 
Soon after Jessica went missing, a local resident saw Willis at the Mancelona property walking out of the woods with a shovel. What the shit? Yeah. Jessica Herringa's trial. On December 13, 2016, a Muskegon County judge ruled that Willis will stand trial for murder and kidnapping charges in Herringa's case. The judge decided that there was enough evidence to call for a trial after four days of testimony during the preliminary hearing. Judge Raymond Kostrzewa, I, I'm sorry, no idea how to pronounce that correctly, noted such evidence as the folder on Willis's computer named Vix, likely short for victims, which prosecutors say included a subfolder titled with her initials, photos of her, and the date of her disappearance. They also found necrophilia and murder porn videos downloaded from the internet, some of which were simulated and some of which were very real. Ah! Gross. Yeah. The trial for Jessica Herringa's murder was in May of 2018. After one and a half hours of deliberation, the jury found Willis guilty of Jessica's kidnapping and murder, on May 16, 2018, Willis subsequently received a life sentence without parole. He also has another suspected crime. Willis is also a suspect in the unsolved murder of a 15-year-old girl uh, from Fruitport High. Angela Maria Thornburg, whose body was found partially clothed by a hunter on October 17, 1996, in the woods near I-96 in Fruitport. She disappeared a month prior and was initially considered a runaway, with sightings of her reported soon after. Reports from the Times said that she ran out a back door of her boyfriend's house when her mom came to pick her up. Willis graduated from the same high school in 1988 and worked as a janitor for the school district. Uh, I'm sorry, 1988. I can't remember if I got that right. I probably read it wrong. I'm sorry if I'm wrong on dates. Worked as a janitor for the school district from 1998 to 1999 before being fired after he was found to be looking at porn on a computer meant for the students in an elementary school. Ew. So then we get to Jessica's Law. On December 9, 2013, a Michigan House of Representatives bill was announced titled the Jessica Hearinga Act also known as Jessica's Law, officially known as House Bill 4123. It was requested by Herringa's parents, introduced by Rep. Colleen Lamonte and community leader Sharon Pennell, and sponsored by Marsha Hovey-Wright and several other Michigan legislator members. Ugh, can't talk. The bill requires gas stations and convenience stores that are open between the hours of 11 p.m. and 5 a.m., to install and maintain a security camera system or to have at least two employees on shift during these hours. The bill would establish a civil fine of not more than $200 for each violation. Businesses ex uh, excluded from the Jessica's Law include hotels, taverns, restaurants, pharmacies, grocery stores, supermarkets, or businesses that have more than 10,000 square feet of retail space. As of March 11, 2020, the bill has not been passed by Michigan legislator. Small business owners are far more concerned about the cost associated with installing cameras 
or the hiring of additional staff than that of the safety of said staff. Big surprise. Gosh. And security systems aren't that expensive. If you <laughs> just want to get something. Not when you own a business. It's not in the long run. No. And it can save you money on theft. Yeah. But, you know. You can see when somebody comes in to rob your place. Because if I owned any business, you'd think you would want some kind of system. You would think. People get ring doorbells for their house all the time now. I mean, it used to be expensive. Mm-hmm. But now you would think that'd be a minimal cost. Of course. In November 2014, Shelley Herringa, Jessica's mother traveled to the Michigan State Capitol in Lansing to speak with state lawmakers concerning Jessica's law. Shelley stated, If you have a daughter, a sister, thank God that they're still with you. The owner of the gas station that Jessica worked at, which did not have a surveillance camera system at the time she went missing, has since installed one. That's... So at least they did now. But yeah, like a little late. They probably got a lot of pressure from customers that were like, oh, yeah, yeah this yeah, happened but... once under your eye, like get something. Yeah. In popular culture, Unsolved Mysteries released their Jessica Herringa story on their two year anniversary of her disappearance in April 2015. The story was released via a webisode titled The Abduction of Jessica Herringa, which was narrated by her mother who also mentioned that there was a $26,000 reward for information about her disappearance. The case was uh, also featured on the season seven premiere of the Investigation Discovery series, Disappeared, titled Somebody's Watching, which originally aired on April 11, 2016. Coincidentally, Willis's arrest for the attempted kidnapping of the teen girl was less than a week later on April 16, and the additional investigation afterward led to the other charges against him and Bloom. Jessica's story and case has also been featured on other crime podcasts, and I found all my info on Wikipedia uh, and MLive, but yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's very... It's a lot. So if I like look back at it, he has that subs- uh, that suspected crime of the 15-year-old from Fruitport High School. Yeah. Um, so likely he probably killed her. I'm just saying because this dude was a menace. Yeah. And then he- uh, Herringa. Then you got Blesh. That's three, uh, three strikes. You're a serial killer. Then that 16-year-old that got away. Yeah. That would so have been his fourth. That'd be another attempted... Like, if you really look at it, we had a serial killer right there in Muskegon. That's crazy. Yeah, it pretty... Oof. It hits you hard. Yeah. I didn't know too much about it after... Other than, like, hearing that she went missing. And... I I guess I didn't really keep up on the case to see if they even convicted anyone. Well, I knew... I wasn't sure if he was... um, convicted i knew that they wanted him for it because it made sense like everything made sense yeah i didn't know the amount of evidence they had on him i know that they knew he was there and that he was a customer of hers and that they had seen her that seen him that night and i knew his van was seen around there and just like some of the evidence at the scene kind of like said okay but i didn't realize the folder on the computer with the pictures I knew his yeah. cousin was talking and recanting, 
Um, I had seen some things where they had just some articles throughout the years where they were searching and searching and searching his property, but coming back with nothing. So I was like, I don't know if they can convict him. So reading this, I was like, oh, no, they did. And they had good reason to. Yeah, that's a lot of shit to have on your computer. Like, that's a lot of different areas to... They may not have her body, but, I mean, you've got her in your VIX album on your computer. Pictures of her. Yeah. The day of her disappearance. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. When you have that of another woman that you definitely shot. So, I mean, it just kind of like, duh, put two and two together. It's pretty, ugh. Yeah. And seeing this guy's picture always makes me want to, like, vomit. That's nuts. Oh, speaking of pictures, my case, there was a picture in the book of their bodies hanging from that <laughs> tree. And I thought, oh, <laughs> good old 1800s, take a picture of a dead body. That's awesome. Yeah. It was messed up, too. Like, you can see their necks are all stretched out with the rows. <laughs> it's like that's awful i don't want to look at that no 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 no. yeah that i thought i knew a lot until i went through that and i was like oh yeah no there's more i had no idea it went that deep uh so i think we (laughs) we need something good to to come back from that (laughs) (laughs) So. Well, I will say, at least the girl got away. Yeah. That, that 16-year-old? Yeah. The fact that she was able to get away, and because of that, they were able to find the murderer of Blesh, because they found the murder weapon. They yeah. were able to find the other evidence. She wasn't, like, sexually assaulted. Yeah. And killed. They found, you know, evidence on Jessica Herringa. Because of that... This girl saved how many more women? Yeah. How many more girls? Yeah. I will say that was like a you go girl moment. Yeah. Like, good for you. There There are different ways that I've heard. So I don't know which one is true. In one uh, article, or I think it was Wikipedia. I can't remember which. But it said that she had told him that she was hot and that she needed him to roll down the window. And when he did, she was able to, like, get out. And then there was another one where I had heard she was, like, in the back and she was able to get the back door open. So I don't know, like, which way. All I know is that she for sure got out and got to a house. Yeah. And the woman let her in because she sees a girl covered in blood. Obviously from jumping out of a moving vehicle. Yeah, for real. So I guess for my something good this week, I found a TikTok of this woman who opened a true crime bookstore in Michigan. Um, And she's getting it ready. If I can find the name. We had about three weeks to get ready for our grand opening. And this right here is Dead Time Stories, True Crime and Other Books. Located at 1132 South Washington Avenue in Lansing, Michigan, in the Rio Town District. We have true crime and paranormal books, gifts, movies, all kinds of fun stuff. 
We're getting ready to expand into the space next door you see right there that is going to be called the Screamatorium. So more books, more gifts, ice cream, treats. We can't wait to see you there. Wow. So. I thought that was awesome. I didn't really think about true crime specific bookstores existing, but yeah, she opened one in Lansing. So that's if interesting. You're, if you're near there, <laughs> pay to right. visit. It looks really awesome. She's got this one um bathtub like one of those big clawfoot bathtubs when we first come in that was just packed full of stuff and i'm pretty sure i saw like a severed arm on top so <laughs> <laughs> it looked really neat if i'm ever down in the lansing area i'll probably go check it out yeah absolutely so good for her i put a comment on the video i was like hey i'm gonna mention this on our <laughs> new podcast it's awesome, though. It sounds like a lot of fun. I definitely want to go visit there when I come back. Yeah. When are you coming back next? We need to, we need to visit. I know it. Don't I know it. I need to see you in person. I know. I need to go running crazily through the fields in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> through the blueberry fields. <laughs> Just uh. frolicking. Frolicking through the in my happiness, fields. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe through the, if we're in Holland, through the tulip fields. Tulips. I've there are so many blueberry fields. I've actually had horror nightmares about blueberry fields. So, I had a a true crime, quote unquote, <laughs> dream when I was a teen that I was walking through a blueberry field and came across a farmhouse. And inside is where Britney Spears and I were skinned alive. Oh. I mean, I had the closest I got is I had a dream once. I was on a bus and Jonathan Taylor Thomas stabbed my thigh with a steak knife. <laughs> no, JTT. Why? How could you? I don't. I don't know why he was there or where that came from. But I woke up. I think I had a massive leg cramp. So I think that just like went into my dream and woke me up that I was stabbed with a, a steak knife, which is very specific. <laughs> oh, goodness. So Even at a that, young age, yeah. we're having true crime dreams. Well, the stupid thing was like, he wasn't even in anything anymore. This was like mid to late 2000s. <laughs> oh, no. Like. Uh, probably 2009-10-ish, somewhere in there. <laughs> so why I was on a school bus and Jonathan Diller Thomas was there with a steak knife <laughs> beats me. <laughs> Damn, JTT. It was rude. Never knew you had it in you, man. Yeah, rude, and then it woke me up. Just to have a leg cramp. <laughs> right. Yeah. So on that weird note, thank you for listening. Yes, thank you for listening. And we will see you all next time. Watch out for the crazies. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. The music titled Teller of the Tales was provided by Kevin McLeod and can be found at incomtech.filmmusic.io.